Chapter One of From Jest to Earnest by Edward P. Rowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter One A Practical Joke. On a cloudy December morning, a gentleman, two ladies, and a boy stepped down from the express train at a station just above the highlands on the Hudson. A double sleigh, overflowing with luxurious robes, stood near, and a portly coachman with difficulty restrained spirited horses, while the little party arranged themselves for a winter ride. Both the ladies were young, and the gentleman's anxious and almost tender solicitude for one of them seemed hardly warranted by her blooming cheeks and sprightly movements a close observer might soon suspect that his assiduous attentions were caused by a malady of his own rather than by indisposition on her part the other young lady received but scant politeness though seemingly in greater need of it but the words of scripture applied to her beautiful companion whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance she had been surfeited all her life with attention, and though she would certainly have felt its absence, as she would the loss of wealth, lifelong familiarity with both led her to place no special value upon them. Therefore, during the half-hour's ride her spirits rose with a rapid motion, and even the leaden sky and winter's bleakness could not prevent the shifting landscape from being a source of pleasure to her city eyes while the devotion of her admirer or lover was received as a matter of course. The frosty air brought color into her companion's usually pale face, but not of an attractive kind, for the northeast wind that deepened the vermilion in the beauty's cheek could only tinge that of the other with a ghastly blue. The delicate creature shivered and sighed. I wish we were there. Really, Belle, sometimes I think your veins are filled with water instead of blood. It's not cold today, is it, Mr. De Forest? Well, all I can say with certainty, he replied, is that I have been in a glow for the last two hours. I thought it was chilly before that. You are nearer to glory, then, cried the boy saucily from his perch on the driver's box. Of course I am, said Mr. De Forest in a low tone, and leaning towards the maiden. You are both nearer being silly, she replied pettishly. Dan, behave yourself, and speak when you are spoken to. The boy announced his independence of sisterly control by beginning to whistle, and the young lady addressed as Bell remarked, Mr. De Forest is no judge of the weather under the circumstances. He doubtless regards the day as bright and serene, but he was evidently a correct judge up to the time he joined you, Lottie. He joined you as much as he did me. Oh, pardon me, yes, I believe I was present. I hope I have failed in no act of politeness, Miss Bell, said De Forest, a little stiffly. I have no complaints to make. Indeed, I have fared well, considering that one is sometimes worse than a crowd. Nonsense, said Lottie petulantly, and the young man tried not to appear annoyed. The sleigh now dashed in between rustic gate-posts composed of rough pillars of granite and proceeding along an avenue that sometimes skirted a wooded ravine and again wound through picturesque groupings of evergreens they soon reached a mansion of considerable size which bore evidence of greater age than is usual with the homes in our new world 
they had hardly crossed the threshold into the hall before they were hospitably welcomed by a widowed lady whose hair was slightly tinged with gray and by her eldest daughter the greetings were so cordial as to indicate ties of blood and the guests were shown to their rooms and told to prepare for an early dinner in brief mrs marchmont the mistress of the mansion had gratified her daughter's wish as she did all her fancies by permitting her to invite a number of young friends for the christmas holidays both mother and daughter were fond of society and it required no hospitable effort to welcome visitors at a season when a majority of their friends had fled from the dreariness of winter to city homes indeed they regarded it as almost an honor that so prominent a belle as charlotte marsden had consented to spend a few weeks with them at a time when country life is at a large discount with the fashionable they surmised that the presence of mr de forest a distant relative of both miss marsden and themselves would be agreeable to all concerned and were not mistaken as to miss lottie the presence of a few admirers she would not entertain the idea that they were lovers had become an ordinary necessity of life mr de forest was an unusually interesting specimen of the genus handsome an adept in the mode and etiquette of the hour attentive as her own shadow and quite as subservient his love-making would equal his toilet in elegance all would be delicately suggested by a touch of hand or a glance of eye and yet he would keep pace with the wild and wayward beauty in as desperate a flirtation as she would permit miss lottie had left her city home with no self-sacrificing purpose to become a martyr for the sake of country relatives she had wearied of the familiar round of metropolitan gaiety but life on the hudson during midwinter was an entire novelty therefore as her little brother had been included in the invitation they had started on what was emphatically a frolic to both bell parton her companion was another city cousin of the marchmonts with whom they were in the habit of exchanging visits she was also an intimate of lottie's the two being drawn together by the mysterious affinity of opposites she was indeed a very different girl from lottie marsden and many would regard her as a better one her face and character were of a type only too familiar to close observers of society she was the beginning of several desirable things but the pattern was in no instance finished and was always raveling out on one side or the other she had the features of a pretty girl but ill health and the absence of a pleasing expression spoiled them she had a fine education but did not know what to do with it considerable talent but no energy too much conscience as she had not the resolution to obey it her life was passed mainly in easy chairs chronic dyspepsia and feeble protest against herself and all the world lottie often half provoked but never roused her by saying bell you are the most negative creature i ever knew why don't you do something or be something out and out well tis an ill wind that blows nobody any good you make an excellent foil for me and gloriously rich and tropical did lottie appear against the colorless background of her friend bell felt that she suffered by the comparison so frankly indicated but was too indolent and irresolute to change for the better or avoid companionship with one whose positive and full-blooded nature seemed to supplement her own meagre life when all appeared in the dining-room the shades and contrasts in character became more evident at the head of the table sat a gentleman as yet not introduced mr dimmerly by name 
a bachelor brother of Mrs. Marchmont, who resided with her. He was a quaint-appearing little man, who in a greater degree than his age required seemed to belong to a former generation. His manners were too stately for his stature, and he was embarrassed by his elaborate efforts at politeness, as his movements might have been by two ample garments. He and his sister were representatives of one of the oldest families of the state, and, like their mansion, reminded one of the past. Indeed, they seemed to cherish, as a matter of pride and choice, their savor of antiquity, instinctively recognizing that their claims upon society were inherited rather than earned. Old families do not always appear to accumulate the elements of greatness to such a degree that there is an increasing and almost irresistible impetus of force and genius. Successive generations are not necessarily born to a richer dower of minds and morals. Too often it would seem that the great qualities that in the first place launched a family on a brilliant career expend themselves until the latest scion, like a spent arrow, drops into insignificance. Mrs. Marchmont was regarded by society as an elegant woman, and she was in all externals. The controlling principle of her life was precedent. What had been customary and still obtained among the good old families had a flavor of divine right in it. Alas for the Marchmont family, for the young lady of the house seemed inclined to maintain and perpetuate nothing save her own will, and had no special development in any respect save a passion for her own way. Still, she was one of those girls whom society calls a pretty little thing, and was predestined to marry some large, good-natured man who would imagine that she would make a nice little pet, a household fairy, but who might learn to his dismay that the fairy could be a tormenting elf. She would not marry the young gentleman with whom her name was at present associated by the gossips and who had driven over that morning to help her entertain the expected guests. Mr. Harcourt and Miss Marchmont understood each other. He was a distant relative of her mother's, and so under the disguise of kinship could be very familiar. The tie between them was composed of one part friendship and two parts flirtation. He had recently begun the practice of law in a neighboring town, and found the Marchmont residence a very agreeable place at which to spend his leisure. It was Miss Marchmont's purpose that he should form one of the gay party that would make the holiday season a prolonged frolic. He, nothing loath, accepted the invitation, and appeared in time for dinner. To many he seemed to possess a dual nature. He had a quick, keen intellect, and during business hours gave an absorbed attention to his profession. At other times he was equally well known as a sporting man, with tendencies somewhat fast. Mrs. Marchmont's well-appointed dining-room was peculiarly attractive that wintry day. Finished off in some dark wood on which the ruddy hickory fire glistened warmly, it made a pleasing contrast to the cold whiteness of the snow without. A portly-colored waiter in dress-coat seemed the appropriate presiding genius of the place, and in his ebony hands the polished silver and crystal were doubly luminous. And yet the family, with its lack of original force, its fading traditions of past greatness made rather a dim and neutral tint, against which such a girl as Charlotte Marston appeared as the glowing embodiment of the vivid and intense spirit of the present age. Her naturally energetic and mercurial nature had been cradled among the excitements of the gayest and giddiest city on the continent. 
a phlegmatic uncle had remarked to her in view of her inherited and developed characteristics lottie what an ordinary girl's is a soul in you is a flame of fire as she sat at the table doing ample justice to the substantial viands she did appear as warm and glowing as the coals of hardwood which ripened in the sunshine lay upon the hearth opposite the bon vivant julian de forest found time for many admiring glances of which lottie was as agreeably conscious as of the other comforts and luxuries of the hour they were all very much upon the same level in her estimation but de forest would ask no better destiny than to bask in the light and witchery of so glorious a creature little did he understand himself or her or the life before him it would have been a woeful match for both in a certain sense he would be like the ambitious mouse that espoused the lioness the polished and selfish idler with a career devoted to elegant nothings would fret and chafe such a nature as hers into almost frenzy had she no escape from him there would be fewer unhappy marriages if the young instead of following impulses and passing fancies would ask how will our lives accord when our present tendencies and temperaments are fully developed it would need no prophetic eye to foresee in many cases not supplemental and helpful differences but only hopeless discord yet it is hard for a romantic youth to realize that the smiling maiden before him with a cheek of peach bloom and eyes full of mirth and tenderness can become as shrewish as xantippe herself and many a woman becomes stubborn and acid rather than sweet by allowing herself to be persuaded into marrying the wrong man and then by not having the good sense to make the best of it alas experience also proves that of all prosaic selfish grumblers your over-gallant lover makes the worst and yet while the world stands multitudes will no doubt eagerly seek the privilege of becoming mutual tormentors lottie thought mr de forest very nice she liked him better than any one else she had met and flirted with since her school days during which period of sincerity and immaturity she had several acute attacks of what she imagined to be the grand passion but as the objects were as absurd as her emotions and the malady soon ran its course she began to regard the whole subject as a jest and think with her fashionable mother that the heart was the last organ to be consulted in the choice of a husband as it was almost sure to lead to folly while her heart slept it was easy to agree with her mother's philosophy but it would be a sad thing if her heart should become awakened when her will or duty was at variance with its cravings she might act rightly she might suffer in patience but it would require ten times the effort that the majority of her sex would have to make her mother thought that the elegant and wealthy mr de forest was the very one of all the city for her beautiful daughter and lottie gave a careless assent for certainly he was very nice he would answer as well as any one she had ever seen for the inevitable adjunct of her life he had always united agreeably the characters of cousin playmate and lover and why might he not add that of husband but for the latter relation she was in no haste time enough for that in the indefinite future she loved the liberty and year-long frolic of her maiden life though in truth she had no idea of settling down on becoming a matron in the meantime while she laughed at de forest's love-making she did not discourage it 
and the young man felt that his clear understanding with the mother was almost equal to an engagement to the daughter he welcomed this country visit with peculiar satisfaction feeling that it would bring matters to a crisis he was not mistaken by the time they were sipping their coffee after dessert the promise of the leaden sky of the morning was fulfilled in a snowstorm not consisting of feathery flakes that fluttered down as if undecided where to alight but of sharp fine crystals that slanted steadily from the northeast the afternoon sleigh-ride must be given up and even the children looked ruefully and hopelessly out and then made the best of indoor amusements miss marchmont gathered her guests around the parlor fire and fancy-work and city gossip were in order the quiet flow and ripple of small talk was suddenly interrupted by her petulant exclamation oh i forgot to tell you a bit of unpleasant news mother without consulting me has invited a poor and pokey cousin of ours to spend the holidays with us also he is from the west green as a gooseberry and what's far worse he's studying for the ministry and no doubt will want to preach at us all the time i don't know when i've been more provoked but mother said it was too late she had invited him and he was coming i fear he will be a dreadful restraint a sort of wet blanket on all our fun for one must be polite you know in one's own house i am under no special obligation to be polite laughed lottie mark my words i will shock your pious and proper cousin till he is ready to write a book on total depravity it will be good sport till i am tired of it no lottie you shall not give such a false impression of yourself even in a joke said bell i will tell him if he can't see that you are not a sinner above all in galilee no my matter-of-fact cousin you shall not tell him anything why should i care what he thinks already in fancy i see his face elongate and his eyes dilate in holy horror at my wickedness if there is one thing i do love more than another it is to shock your eminently good and proper people why miss lottie chuckled de forest to hear you talk one would think you are past praying for no not till i am married in that sense i am always at my devotions perhaps you had better read the fable of the frogs and king stork thank you i had never dared to hope that you regarded me as good enough to eat no only to peck at but listen to miss addie's proposal if i mistake not there is no end of fun in it said mr harcourt i've thought of something better than shocking him these western men are not easily shocked they see all kinds out there what i suggest would be a better joke and give us all a chance to enjoy the sport suppose lottie you assume to be the good and pious one of our party and in this character form his acquaintance he will soon be talking religion to you and like enough making love and wanting you to go with him as a missionary to the cannibal islands if you go oh that i were king of them broke in de forest you mean you would have lottie for dinner i suppose continued miss marchmont she would be served up properly as a tart no he retorted as sauce piquante she could make a long life a highly seasoned feast you evidently are an epicurean philosopher all your thoughts seem to run on eating said lottie sharply but what do you say to my suggestion asked addie marchmont i think it would be one of the best practical jokes i ever knew the very thought of such an incorrigible witch as you palming yourself off as a demure puritan maiden is the climax of comical absurdity even lottie joined heartily in the general laughter at her expense 
and the preposterous imposition she was asked to attempt, but said dubiously, I fear I could not act successfully the role of a Puritan maiden, when I have always been in reality just the opposite, and yet it would be grand sport to make the attempt, and a decided novelty. But surely your cousin cannot be so verdant, but that he would soon see through our mischief and detect the fraud. Well, replied Addie, Frank as I remember him is a singularly unsuspicious mortal. Even as a boy his head was always in the clouds. He has not seen much of society, save that of his mother and an old maid sister. Moreover, he is so dreadfully pious, and life with him such a solemn thing, that unless we are very bungling he will not even imagine such frivolity as he would call it, until the truth is forced upon him. Then there will be a scene. You will shock him then, Lottie, to your heart's content. He will probably tell you that he is dumbfounded, and that he would not believe that a young woman in this Christian land could trifle with such solemn realities, that is, himself and his feelings. But I don't think it would be quite right, protested Bell feebly. Mr. Harcourt lifted his eyebrows nonsense suppose it is not said lottie impatiently but addie persisted bell he will be your guest no he won't he's mother's guest and i feel like punishing them both very well said lottie lightly if you have no scruples i have none it would be an excellent thing for his whole theological seminary if they could have a thorough shaking up by the wicked world which to him in this matter i shall represent they would then know what they were preaching about. What do you say, Julian? When did I ever disagree with you? He replied gallantly. But in this case, I really think we owe Miss Addie a vote of thanks for having hit upon a joke that may enliven the greater part of our visit. This embryo parson seems a sort of scriptural character, and why should he not blindly, like Samson, make sport for us all? I fear you do not understand your own scriptural allusion, sneered Bell. Like Samson, he may also pull everything down about our ears in a most uncomfortable manner. I hope you won't spoil everything by telling him or mother, said Addie petulantly. Oh, no, since you are determined upon it, I will look on and see the fun, if there is any, but bah, he will find you all out in a day. As for Lottie palming herself off as a goodish young woman to whom any sane man would talk religion, the very thought is preposterous. Don't be too confident, Miss Bell, said Lottie, put upon her mettle. If you all will only sustain me and not awaken his suspicions with your by-play and giggling, I will deceive the ingenious youth in a way that will surprise you as well as him. Good acting must have proper support. This is something new, out of the rut, and I am bound to make a brilliant jest that we can laugh over all our lives. So remember, Julian, you will disconcert me at your peril. No fears of me, so long as your jest remains a jest, I will be the last one to spoil the sport. With a chime of laughter that echoed to the attic of the old mansion, Lottie exclaimed, The idea that I should ever become in earnest! But the young clergyman may become dead in earnest, said Bell, who seemed the embodiment of a troublesome but weak conscience. You know well, Mr. de Forest, that Lottie's blandishments may be fatal to his peace. That is his affair, replied the confident youth, with a careless shrug. Having arranged the details of the plot, and been emphatically cautioned by Lottie, they awaited their victim. End of chapter 1